in Christ. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 37. We'll begin there. We'll read it out loud together and then we'll be backing up to verse number 28, working our way down to the end of the chapter this evening. Let's read verse number 37 together. The Bible says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are more than conquerors. Who am I in Christ? Well, uh, I am more than a conqueror, or we are more than conquerors. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask tonight that you'd help us as we uh, dive into a subject that I, Lord, honestly feel intimidated by. Um, this passage in Romans 8 is so deep and rich that we could spend months, if not years, studying it and trying to understand it. And Lord, we'll, we'll, we'll look at the surface of it and, uh, for about 25 or 30 minutes this evening, and no way we'll do it justice. But Lord, I pray tonight that those that are here would get exactly out of the message what they need, and the Lord, everyone would leave tonight encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, the uh, month of July on Sunday evenings, we have uh, looked at a series of sermons. If you give me a little more volume up here, I appreciate that. Uh, pray, if you don't mind, those prayer warriors in the room, if you think about it through the sermon, pray for me. I woke up with a scratchy throat this morning, and then I preached my guts out this morning, and so I don't know how much I have left, but the Lord will get us through here. Uh, but uh, the month of July, we uh, have been looking at the three previous weeks on who I am in Christ. What is my identity in Christ? Okay, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you. You, um, uh, you, you became a believer. So what now? Where do you go from here? What exactly does that even mean? Well, uh, back on July 7th, we looked at this idea of each of us that are saved being a child of God. And that ought to excite you this evening, that you are a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, imagine that you are an orphan, homeless on the street, uh, d- digging through dumpsters to find a meal, and the king of kings, or rather the, the, the richest king or the most powerful king in the world, scrapes you up off the street, has all the paperwork drawn up, and it's all signed, and you move into a palace, you, uh, your rags are taken away, and you're given robes to wear, you are made an heir to the throne, the king does not have a son, and so after he dies, you're going to be given that, uh, that rulership, that heirship, that inheritance, that you'll receive. Now, God is never going to die, and we're not going to inherit His throne, but we have been scraped off the streets of sin. We have been adopted by God into His family, and if you're saved tonight, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, uh, your dependence on Him to get you to heaven, then you can rejoice because you are a child of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Who am I in Christ? Who are we in Christ? Well, we are children of God. And then July 14th, we spent time looking at this idea of being the friend of God, the friend of God. We went to John 15 and we saw where the Bible says, ye are my friends if ye keep my commandments. And we talked about the stipulation God puts on friendship. Being saved is not enough to be the friend of God. You need to keep his commandments to be his friend. There needs to be a wholehearted effort in living a lifestyle that's pleasing to the Lord. And we talked about how that all of us 
put stipulations on every friendship that we have. And I told you tonight, pick the person that you're closest to and you love the most. Maybe you're married to that person. And no matter who you are, things can be done that that greatly injure or stress or tear apart that friendship. God has put some stipulation on His friendship with us. And that one stipulation is this. Just keep my commandments. Just keep my commandments. If you'll keep my commandments, you will be my friends. And I won't treat you like servants. I'll treat you like friends. Last week, we spent quite a bit of time looking at this topic of being an ambassador for Christ. And we looked at um, a passage there in Corinthians. And the whole chapter is devoted to talking about how an ambassador lives in a foreign country and he's away from his home. And even the clothing that he wears is different. He doesn't wear the clothing from his home country. No, he wears the clothing of that of the country that he's living in. And he there's relatability there with the people. But yet for the Christian, we may not dress like we will one day dress in heaven and wear the robes in heaven. We may wear earthly clothes, but we're to be righteous in our clothing. We're to represent our Savior uh, and do so in a way that's honorable to Him. Our language is to please Him. Our witness is to please Him. Why? Because we've been put here on earth to go and represent our Savior to a lost and dying world. And my friend, that's not a gift that we're given. Are you listening to me tonight? That is a calling that all of us have the day we got saved. You don't pick and choose whether or not you get to be a soul winner. The truth is, all of us here today that are saved, all of us are ambassadors. Some of us are better at it than others, but all of us are ambassadors. Some of you here tonight have never opened up your mouth and represented your Savior diplomatically to a world that's lost. And i got to tell you, God's going to look at you one day and say, I gave you the gospel to whom much is given, much is required. Not only did I give you the gospel, you were born and lived during a time where the Word of God was in print and in mass print. Not only did you have it in your hand, uh, you had it on your smartphone and uh, you had it via way of internet and you had it via way of social media to spread and you really are without excuse. You had every opportunity to share the truth with the world around you, but instead you went undercover and decided to be a secret service Christian. And uh, last night the message pushed all of us, uh, you are an ambassador for Christ? Are you doing your job of representing Christ to a lost world? Well, tonight I want to turn, uh, I want us to turn and look at one more uh, of the identity in Christ, one more thought of our identity in Christ. And we could probably go through scriptures and find others, but these were the four I found most prominent in the New Testament. And and, uh, New Testament is uh, where we see the church and uh, the Christians. And so who am I in Christ? I love Romans chapter 8. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I put John 15 Maybe at the top of the list, Romans 8 would definitely make the top five. I don't know exactly where I would put it. It has been called the theologian's favorite chapter. And again, this is, is a, if you want to dive into the deepest ocean of the Bible, Romans 8 might be the deepest ocean of, of the Bible. There's so much here to study. You could probably spend a lifetime just studying this chapter and never actually uncover every stone or dive all the way to the bottom of that ocean. But uh, uh, Romans 8... Eight here uh, tells us that if you are born anew in Christ, you are more than a conqueror. Now, this morning's sermon was a uh, rare back and let it fly, uh, hard-hitting sermon. Tonight, I want to preach more of a Sunday morning type sermon. I want to preach a sermon that's maybe uh, uh, meant, that's meant maybe to help someone who came in hurt with a hurting heart or carrying 
a heavy burden. Maybe you came in tonight and you have just been beat down by the world around you and you have a little bit of a defeatist attitude. You came in tonight feeling like you're losing the battle. And i got to tell you tonight, you may feel as though you're losing the battle, but God has, or Jesus has called you in His Word. He has called you, if you're saved, out to be more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. I think of that phrase, more than conquerors, and I'm left with this thought. Um, there is no word adequate enough in our language, the Greek or the English, to describe what we are. Sometimes, words cannot describe what God is actually trying to say, because it's limited. I think of Hebrews 4.12. It says, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper, sharper than a two-edged sword. Well, if it's sharper than a two-edged sword, what is it? Well, there isn't words adequate enough to describe how powerful God's word is. The closest analogy that could be found in terms that we can relate with is a quick, sharp, powerful two-edged sword, but not even that describes how powerful the Bible is. Here in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, you can feel as though Paul, through the, uh, through the inspiration of God, is trying to tell the church at Rome here, hey, don't have a defeatist attitude. You're not just a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. Well, what are we, Paul? I don't know, but it is beyond even what a conqueror is what is a conqueror? Well, I have some definitions down here for what a conqueror is, and uh, uh, Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines a conqueror as one who conquers. I was told in school you're not allowed to put the word in the definition. How many of you else have heard that? Mr. Webster needs to, you know, go back to school here. Um, a conqueror is one who conquers, one who wins a country in uh, one who wins a country in war subdues or subjugates a people or overcomes uh, an adversary. Uh, an old dictionary going back around the time that the King James Bible was translated into English, so this would have been uh, the, 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 the 16th or 17th century, somewhere in there, defined the word conqueror this way. Uh, again, one who conquers, uh, one who gains a victory, one who subdues and brings into subjection or possession by force or by influence, the man who defeats his antagonist in combat is a conqueror, as is the general or admiral who defeats his enemy. So this idea of being a conqueror uh, comes from uh, uh, someone who's involved in a heated battle and there's a war going on and they defeat the enemy and maybe you can even picture them putting their foot on their enemy's throat and holding that battle axe high in victory. What is a conqueror? A conqueror is someone who wins the battle. And the Bible says this morning, or this evening as we're looking at it, the Bible says that if you are saved, you've been forgiven of your sins, the Bible says that you are more than a conqueror. It doesn't always feel that way though, does it? It doesn't always feel that way. Sometimes I think people look at a pastor, not just me, but just pastors in general. And they somehow think that because we're pastors, we're superhuman. That we don't have emotions and that we're never down and we never have a day off. And, 
And life is always great, and we're never sad, and we're never depressed, and, and we never struggle with sin, and, and we're, we're super Christian. You have to be a super Christian to be a pastor, don't you? Well, um, I think if you're going to be a pastor, you, you need to live above reproach. I think you need to walk with God. I think you need to have a prayer life. I think you need to have a heart for people if you're going to be a pastor. But can I tell you that pastors are not robots? You all understand that? Pastors are not robots, and pastors have days uh, where they struggle as well. Going into this conference that we went to last week, uh, I'm just, I love to open up my heart and just be transparent. And uh, there was some defeatist attitude inside of this man's mentality right here. And I sat in the pew and I listened to the preaching, and God broke my heart and showed me, you are more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. Hey, Christian, today, you might be losing the battle, but I promise you, God is going to help all of us win the war. Just stay faithful. Just stay faithful. I want us to jump into Romans chapter 8 this evening, and I want us to look at seven thoughts. Now, let me tell you how this works. When a pastor tells you he has two points, put your seatbelt on. It's going to be a long journey. When a pastor tells you he has seven points, they're going to go quick. So uh, uh, let's jump in and, and let's uh, let's fly through these. I, I have a couple of points I'm going to spend quite a bit more time on than the others. Some of them I'll just have a few brief comments and we'll move through. And I know all of you are here tonight not to hear me preach, but to find out what this exciting announcement is. And so you're, you're, you just want me to hurry up and finish so we can get to that. And so, um, uh, but uh, but please set that to the side and, and, and put your heart and mind in the Word of God here. And, and let's let the Word of God speak to us tonight. Number one on your outline tonight is this, Satan's guilt. Satan's guilt. Why is it that we don't always feel like more than a conqueror? Well, I would tell you that the forces of evil are behind a defeatist mentality. Look at verse 33. Who shall lay any any, uh, thing to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Now, again, Paul is writing this as if to say there is no reason for anyone to lay any charge or, or, or lay any crime against you. But can I tell you that Satan tries real hard? Satan tries to work. It's, God bless you. It's really interesting how Satan works. Satan likes to jump on this shoulder right here, and he'll whisper in my ear, you know you want to do it. Now, not Satan directly. Maybe it's just my flesh. Maybe it's the demon that's been assigned over tripping me up. I don't know what it is, but the forces of evil sit on this shoulder right here and say, you know you want to do that. You know, And I say, it's not right. And he says, yeah, but it's fun. Yeah, but it'll get you out of a tough spot. Yeah, but, you know, it's okay to be lazy every now and then. It's okay. And then I'll go off and do that sin, and then that evil force switches shoulders. And he sits on this shoulder and he says, Now, 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 you dirty, rotten, no good, sinful loser! God doesn't want you to talk to him. He hates you. You know what? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. And you call yourself a Christian! And the same force that caused me to sin turns around and accuses me of my sin. Are you all with me tonight? Do you all know where I'm coming from? Turn over to Romans chapter... Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. Turn over to um, yeah, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 10. Just a couple pages over there. Romans chapter 12... In verse number 10. 
I wrote down the wrong verse. Revelation chapter 12. That's it. Revelation 12 and verse 10. Now, here we find uh, just a quick eschatology lesson for you, or end times lesson. Here we find the saints in heaven. They've been raptured, and they're in the throne room of God, and they're going through what we'll call, or what the Bible calls, the judgment seat. Each Christian is being brought before God, and his works are being tried. Now, let me be clear about the judgment seat. God, I've heard preachers say some things that are sensational and, and flat out, they're just downright wrong. I've heard people say, God is going to put everything you've ever done on a screen and somehow embarrass you over every thought you've ever had or sin you've done. That's not going to happen. Okay, that's not going to happen. Um, and I'm thankful for that. Right? Aren't you? We'd all be embarrassed. In fact, the judgment seat is, in a sort, going to be set up sort of like a courtroom where God will be the judge and we will be represented by a lawyer named Jesus. The, the defense, or rather the prosecuting lawyer, is going to be the devil. And he's going to be there. And he's going to accuse the brethren. Look at Revelation chapter 12, verse number 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven... Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of, the tes- uh, of their uh, uh, word of their testimony. And they uh, loved not their lives unto the death. What is this? Well, during that judgment seat where we're being judged, Satan is hurling our sins against us. And Jesus stands up and says, no, 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 no. I died for those sins. I've forgiven them of their sins. And hey, this evening, Christian, I want to remind you, the next time Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. He's going to hell. And he's going to be bound up and he's going to be thrown there. Listen, I, I can't wait. Until the great white throne judgment is over and everyone else has been judged, that part's going to be hard. Let me tell you what's not going to be hard about the great white throne judgment. They're going to drag Satan out, kicking and screaming. And Jesus is going to be sitting up on his throne. And I believe we'll all be in a grandstand type setup and we'll all be looking down. And we'll be standing up and cheering and I'll have my Bible if I'm allowed to. I'll be waving that Bible and, and Satan's going to be brought and thrown down in front of Jesus. And right before he's cast into hell, he's going to be forced to bow the knee to King Jesus. And I'm going to tell you right now, you've seen stadiums go nuts over touchdown being scored as a home run hit or walk-offs or whatever in baseball. You've never seen a celebration like the celebration when Satan bows the knee. The next time Satan reminds you of your past, or maybe reminds you of the struggles that you're having, or has you in that defeatist attitude, you just look him in the eye or figuratively look him in the eye and you remind him of his future. Satan's guilt. Number two, notice Satan's garrison. A garrison is a stronghold and a fort, a fort, if you will. And inside Satan's fort, he has an array of weapons that he launches at the Christian. Go back to Romans 8 with me and look at verse number 34. The Bible says, Who is he that condemneth? Well, we know it's Satan. Uh, it, it is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, uh, uh, who also maketh intercession for us. Now, I want you to look at this. We're going to come back and look at these, uh, these verses in the context in which Paul is writing them. But for just a moment, I want you to look and see why uh, 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 Paul is writing this to the church at Rome and how it is they're discouraged. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or 
or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, uh, as we, uh, uh, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Look down at verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, uh, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What are the weapons that Satan uses to sort of uh, d- discourage the Christian or give the Christian the defeatist attitude that they're not a conqueror? Well, I have an A, B, C, and a D here. Write these down, letter A. The first uh, tool or, or weapon in Satan's garrison is persecution. Persecution. He launches, and, and maybe another word for persecution could be troubles. He launches an assault against us, an organized attack against us. And trust me, if you try to take a stand for God, you will face opposition on some level. You ever heard the phrase, new levels bring new devils? New levels bring new opposition? And you take a stand for the Lord, and you try to do what's right? Maybe you take a stand for Christ in the workplace, and you ask your co-workers to quit taking God's name in vain. Maybe at home, you, you tell uh, your children, your teenage children, as you're trying to get your home in order, to turn that TV show off, and you begin to get attitude from them. Uh, uh, maybe it's your neighbors who mock you for going to church on Sunday. I don't know what it would be or where it would come from, but persecutions come, uh, troubles come in a lot, a lot of different ways. Can I tell you, though, that in America, we don't really see persecution there are places where they get their heads chopped off for Jesus. I remember that uh, there was a time where my wife and I were going through, I've shared it with the church many times, I won't go into details, but uh, probably the toughest point for us as a couple, not in our marriage, but just as a family where we were uh, being moved quickly out of a ministry into another ministry, and I remember being despondent and depressed. And I remember I'd stand and I'd look myself in the mirror and say, I could be a Christian in the Middle East getting my head chopped off. It could be far worse. And I would look at myself in the eye and say, don't despair. There are people who would trade places with you in a minute. Nonetheless, Satan oftentimes, I'll tell you how he works with me. Satan doesn't usually bring my spirit down with one large attack. He brings my spirit down with a bunch of little attacks that hit me. All within a reasonable amount of time. He'll bring me down with this little attack and this snarl or this unkind remark or, or this person who's going astray or, or this person who's bucking the will of God or, or my own attitude or struggles and I'll notice that these little things begin to pull me down and I'll watch my attitude go from being a conqueror to being a defeatist. Persecution, letter B. Notice, poverty. Poverty. Satan has in his garrison, in his stronghold, he has the tool of poverty. You remember with Job, right? Job, richest man in the world. At least the richest man in the civilized world. Probably the richest man in the world. And in one day, boom, all gone. He went from Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos money, to sitting in a, sitting in a dump, covered in boils, scraping it out with his friends a few days later, criticizing him at every turn. You know what Satan was throwing at, at Job there? He was throwing poverty at him to try to get him to come down, to try to get him to denounce God, to try to get him uh, to walk away from his faith. Now, um, when we think of the word poverty, we oftentimes, we, we will think of, we'll think of money. But can I tell you, you can have all the money in the world and still be a poor person. Some of you in here tonight, it isn't money that you lack, but it's, 
spiritual peace that you lack. It's, it's spiritual poverty. Others of you here tonight, it's, you're an emotional wreck. You're depleted emotionally. And I'm not here to throw stones at anyone who's spiritually depleted or emotionally depleted or, or financially depleted. Listen, these are stresses that we all deal with at different times in our life. But I am here to tell you that God did not call you to have a defeatist attitude. I'm here to tell you that God is still sitting on the throne even when you are bouncing checks or you don't know how you're going to pay the rent or mortgage or uh, you don't know how you're going to keep the lights on and, and uh, maybe uh, your 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 uh, relationship uh, or j- relationships are just a mess. Your marriage is broken and falling apart. Your children, adult children, are going astray and, and, and not following the way that they were raised up in the Lord. And you, you feel broken and poor and empty inside. And Satan is hurling uh, all of this at you. And I would say to you this evening that God did not call you to have a defeatist attitude. Letter C, notice prosperity. You know, something I realized a long time ago is that Satan not only throws poverty at some people to ruin them, he'll throw wealth at other people to ruin them. Your boss calls you in his office and says, I have some overtime for you. In fact, I'll pay you double time if you work Sundays. You don't think Satan or the forces of of evil aren't behind that sometimes? You don't think he's trying to lure you away from church by making sure you have enough money in the bank to buy that three-car garage? Or buy that luxury car? Or buy that fancier set of clothes? Or get a membership to that country club? Or... Have enough extra cash to take those weekend trips that you so desire to take or to upgrade. Listen, I'm not against any of that stuff. I'm not a fan of the weekend trips. I think you ought to be here and go to church. Amen. But the rest of it, real quiet right there. Amen. Okay. Uh, The rest of it, the rest of it's fine. But Lord, but listen, Satan will throw wealth at people in order to ruin them. And I've seen wealth sink people out of church and then ruin their lives. Do you understand that having money is not the answer to problems? You understand that tonight? I heard someone say, they said, uh, money sure can't buy happiness, but I don't mind giving it a shot. Right? I think money can buy a little bit of happiness, but it can't buy you eternal joy. It can bring about short-term happiness, it can't buy eternal joy. Satan will throw prosperity at people. I saw a pastor one time, uh, he, took a, he, went, uh, he took a church and he got a huge pay raise in taking that church. It was a large church and... Uh, he uh, he bought himself a piece of land out uh, uh, near some water, and he built himself a big, beautiful home uh, inside a gated community, and he bought himself a 60-foot boat. That man's life has just gone to pieces. Boy, that money was thrown his way, and that money ruined him. Now, money isn't a sin. The love of money is a sin. You understand that? The love of money is a sin. Satan will throw persecution at you. He'll throw poverty at you. If that doesn't work, he'll throw prosperity at you. One more here. He'll uh, he'll throw principalities and powers at you. Now, as we go uh, back through Romans 8 here, these verses, look at these four things. Persecution, poverty, prosperity, principalities and powers. Look, look back with me here uh, at um, uh, verse number uh, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness? That's, that's, that's poverty, or peril, or sword. Uh, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. Uh, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. 38, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, 
nor thing present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is true that these uh, things cannot separate us from the love of Christ, but Satan sure wants to make us, give us the illusion that it has separated us from the love of Christ. You ever prayed and felt like your prayers were just bouncing off the wall and God wasn't listening? You confessed all your sins and uh, you, 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 you worked to rid yourself of habitual sin and you prayed and just felt like you weren't getting anywhere. And you go to church and sit there and you're just sort of numb. You go into church because you're supposed to, but you're not really getting a whole lot out of church. And you don't blame the preacher per se, but uh, the Word of God just isn't as exciting to you as it used to be. And you're going about and you're thinking, what's going on here? And you have this illusion that Christ has stopped loving you. Let me promise you this evening, God will never stop loving you. Satan's guilt, Satan's garrison. Let's, let's look at the positive part of the sermon this evening. Number three, notice, the conqueror's good. Look at Romans 8, 28. Quickly, let's, let's fly through these here. Romans 8, 28. I'm going to move quick here. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We know, we know. Now notice here the prerequisites of the verse. The prerequisites of the verse is that you have to love God. And that you have to be living according to his purpose for your life. You don't get to just run around and live like the devil Monday through Saturday, show up to church at Sunday and complain about your problems and claim Romans 8.28. No, 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 no. There needs to be a strong effort for you to love God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might, and with all your strength, and that you're seeking the face of God to know the will of God for your life, and that you're getting after it, and that you're doing it. And then, when troubles come your way, what you'll find is that the Lord is using these ingredients that you don't like to bring about a greater good in your life. Now, some thoughts on this. The first thought is this. God does not operate on our timeline. You all get this, right? Remember Joseph? Sold into slavery. Joseph's life is Romans 8.28. Sold into slavery, put up on a block, stripped naked probably, sold like a piece of a meat or a, a, a cow, a, a cattle, and, and, and moves into Potiphar's house and, and, and works hard and, and, and continues to love God and live according to His purpose and rises to the top of Potiphar's house only to be lied about by Potiphar's wife, thrown down in prison uh, to have his carcass rot in prison for all he knows the rest of his life, never gives up his integrity, never gives up his love for God, never quits doing the calling on the purpose of his life. I'm sure he was discouraged. I'm sure he was despondent. I'm sure there were days where he sat there and he licked his spiritual wounds, but he got up and he kept going. And what happened with Joseph is that uh, uh, he was called to be second in command of the strongest nation in the entire world. What happened? God took all of these things in his life and he brought it about for the good. Hey, if that had been most of us, including me probably, there would have been a breaking point where I would have sat down, if not before, definitely in that jail cell and said, God, I quit. I'm done. I'm done. I was my father's favorite, then I got sold into slavery. I didn't do anything to earn that. I rose in Potiphar's house and I worked hard and I stayed faithful to you in a foreign land, in a godless land where the, the, the booze run thick and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, the immorality runs strong and I kept myself true to my Hebrew roots and I've been thrown into jail. I'm done. That's not what Joseph did. Joseph stayed faithful and God 
elevated him. The conqueror's good. Joseph did not get a defeatist mentality. He said, who am I as a child of God? I am more than a conqueror. The conqueror's good. Uh, notice number four, the conqueror's goal. The conqueror's goal. Look down at verse number 29. Romans 8, 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, look at the rest of the verse here, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, a lot of people will take this verse and try to preach Calvinism. Um, Read the verse and understand the verse. Who God knew would be saved, you with me so far? Whom he foreknew would be saved, the saved he predestined to be in the long run made into the image of God. This isn't saying that God selected some people to go to heaven and the rest to go to hell. This is saying God knew who would be saved, and in his foreknowledge, he prepared them, he, he, he created that elect to be made into the image of God. What is my goal as a conqueror? My goal is a con- as a conqueror is to become like the greatest conqueror of all, Jesus Christ. I was handed a book to read recently, and I have just started reading it, and it looks like it's going to be just a tremendous read. The title of the book is this, No Cross, No Crown. No Cross, No Crown. You're not willing to bear your cross, then you don't get to wear your crown. Hey, we all want to stand up on uh, on top and wear the crown, but are we willing to... Bear our cross daily, more than a conqueror. What is the Christian's goal? Is to be made in the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I, I, I look forward to the day where I enter into heaven's presence, and King Jesus is sitting there, and I get to honor Him and worship Him. You know what? I want to be like Jesus. In the 80s and 90s, they had these commercials, I want to be like Mike. All kinds of kids went and bought their Jordan, seeing that helped them be able to dunk the basketball. Hey, look, I care less about Michael Jordan. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to behold him as the conqueror of death and the grave, and I want him to help me to conquer that which is put in front of me. What is the conqueror's goal? It's to be made into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Notice number five, the conqueror's glory. The conqueror's glory. Look at verse number 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also, what's that last word? Glorified. There's going to be a day when I get to heaven and my face shines with the radiance of heaven. And I am glorified by the King of kings and Lord of lords. I will have been called. I will have been justified. Just as if I never sinned. Those sins will be eradicated off my record. Expunged off my record. I will be pardoned and led into heaven. And then God is going to lift me up as His child. And I will be glorified in the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords. I will be glorified as more than a conqueror. Hey, Christian, in the mind of God, you're already there. Why not start living like it right now? Why not start living like that tonight? God wants to elevate you to a place where though you are His heir to the throne, you are receiving that inheritance. But we walk around with our head down and our lip out. No, poor is me. My life is so hard. 
I, I just can't, I can't get by. I can't deal with these problems in my life. And life has really got me down. Hey, listen, I understand that sometimes life can kick you in the mouth and you can have a bad day here and there as I talked about. But we need to get to a place where we put our eyes in heaven and we're standing in the presence of God and we're glorified in the presence of God. And we say, I'm not going to let the devil keep me down. I'm not going to let the powers of darkness keep me down. Why? Because in the presence of God, right now, in eternity future, I am being glorified by the King of Kings. I am a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror. Oh, no, not because of me. Not because I'm worthy, but because He is worthy. The conqueror's glory, number six, the conqueror's guarantee. Look at verse 31. Who shall we say then, or what shall we say then? What shall, let me, let me try again. What shall we, uh, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Hey, you line up the forces of darkness on one side, and it's just you and God on this side. Can I tell you something? You won. You won. They can intimidate you, they can scare you. But you have won. Why do you think David kept going back at time and time again into the book of Psalm and saying that God was his fortress and his refuge and his help in time of need? He is my rock. You know why? Because that world out there is dark and hard. You run into the presence of God and you are on the winning side. You're on the winning side. I'm going to tell you tonight, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, it is a guarantee that you will one day be more than a conqueror. Now, you may live out the rest of your life as though you are a martyr and you're defeated and you've lost and, 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 and life is terrible and you might be an Eeyore type Christian with your lip out and, and what's so good about it? And that's kind of how you act and behave. But I promise you, one day you're going to get to heaven and your whole mentality is going to change. And that's not just a, that's not just a question. That's a guarantee. That's a guarantee. The conqueror's guarantee. Number seven, lastly, notice the conqueror's gift. And I really hope this point here will encourage somebody tonight. Look at verse 32. Speaking of Jesus, he that spared not his own son, or rather speaking of God, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Look at the question here. How shall we, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Well, what things does Christ give us? Letter A, notice, He gives us His loyalty, His his loyalty to us. You ever had a friend betray you? You ever had a friend stab you in the back? You ever shared something real confidential with someone only to have them go leak that and really hurt you? You ever had someone double-cross you? Some of you here tonight sit in the auditorium and you've gone through... A broken marriage. And you feel as though you've been stabbed in the back and hurt. Others of you here tonight have had a friend just really do you wrong. Can I promise you something about God? He's loyal. Now, I'm going to tell you this about me. I'm not always, always loyal to God. I, you know, I, sometimes I think I keep God up working overtime. He, he wants to take a day of rest, but then there's Richard. And he's like, oh, yeah. that guy there. There he goes again, acting the fool. Um... God is not loyal to me because of who I am. He's loyal to me because of who He is. 
in all of my effort to sin and do wrong and, and, and all of my effort to blow it and all my effort to be discouraged and walk around despondent and I forget who my admiral, who my commander is. I forget that, uh, about Revelation where we come down on white horses and he opens his mouth and flames of swords fly out and destroy the enemies and, and, and he destroys the, the enemies and he reigns forever and ever on high. I forget I'm on that team and I put my hands in my pockets and I hang my head low and I get discouraged and I get sad and God doesn't ever say hey you know what I'm sick of that if you want to behave that way get out of here you're not on my team anymore I can tell you I'm that way sometimes I play love to play basketball and I get a guy on my team you know we've lost two or three close games in a row and he just gives up you know what I go to him I get in his face and I say hey buddy get with the program or go sit on the bench I may be a little nicer than that that's what I want to say You know what? God never kicks us to the bench. He just keeps loving us. He's loyal to us. Let her be. And let's finish the sermon with this. His love to us. His love for us. Why is it that these things cannot separate us from God? You know why? Because God's love is a superglue that can never be broken. What is it tonight, Christian? That's got you down. What is it tonight, Christian, that has you discouraged? What is it, Christian, that has you walking through life with your head hanging low, your shoulders drooping, your heart heavy? Can I tell you this? This is the greatest news I could ever share with you. This is the greatest message you you could hear tonight at this church. Jesus loves you. And he's never going to stop. He doesn't love you because you're worthy of His love. He loves you because it's His nature to love you. And let the world hurl what it may in your direction. Uh, uh, Let you get tripped up and fall into as deep a sin as you can find to fall in. God is never going to stop loving you. Look back with me at Romans chapter 8 and let's read these verses out loud together if we could. Let's read them with this thought in mind that the King of kings and Lord of lords has made us more than conquerors, and He has loved us through all of these things that Satan could hurl our way. Look with me at verse 34. Let's read down to the end of the chapter. Read it like you mean it. Don't read it like you're, uh, as they said at the conference this week, don't read it like you're Catholic. Read it like you're saved. Amen? Put some umph in your reading. Look at verse 34. Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd help us to be reminded of this fact that if we're saved, we're already, we're already glorified in your presence in eternity future. We've already won the war. That we're more than conquerors. Lord, I pray everyone in here tonight would walk out with that in mind. Not to be haughty or proud. Because, Lord, there's nothing in us to be proud of. 
Lord, we're not um, rejoicing over our own goodness. We're rejoicing over the fact that you are omnipotent. And you will win the battle for us. And we just get to be on your team. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Help us, Lord, to live in that love. And may that love propel us to live a life that pleases you. Help us to mortify the deeds of our flesh so that we can be quickened by your spirit to go forth and live out the will and plan you have for our lives. Somebody here tonight, Lord, came in the church with shoulders stooped and a discouraged heart. Lord, I would never want to judge them or throw stones at them. I was just that way a few days ago. Lord, I pray the sermon tonight would encourage them and remind them that they're on the winning side. In Jesus' name, amen.